This is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. Welcome to episode 260. Hello, I'm Glenn Wheeler here with Mi'kmaq Matters correspondent Greg Janes. And as you were heard here first on Mi'kmaq Matters, the Supreme Court of Newfoundland and Labrador has rendered a decision in the case known as Benoit, sponsored by the Friends of Halibu Advocacy Organization. And Greg, people will have seen your live reports back in January. You were in St. John's, uh, I think, what was it, more than uh, a week altogether to hear this case? Yes, I was. I attended court, and I think it was... Uh approximately seven days altogether. So um, the uh, feeling in the court at the time, as we heard testimony from uh, the uh, uh, plaintiffs and everything that, it was a very, very well presented case. And we came away feeling that uh, victory was certainly in the air. Yes. And it turned out, Greg, that your predictions were at least uh, uh, partially correct. We have a an 80-page decision from Justice uh, Valerie Marshall. I was surprised, Greg, there wasn't more discussion about the case. There were a couple of items on uh, in the news, but it was mostly, you know, very, you know, not very in-depth. It was just more or less saying we got this decision, but not a lot, of, uh, not a lot about what it means. So I think people are, tr- are still asking that question. What does it mean? Uh, right, Glenn, that because uh, what I've been picking up on social media and what's been out there on CBC, who has uh, followed the case, uh, you know, there wasn't much out there uh, to, because I think I think it, it's really confusing for the media to um, to decipher what the decision is. And it's just like any everyone else out there in that, they're just asking the same question. What does it mean right now for me? Yes. Okay, let's talk, uh, first of all, let's provide a bit of background about about the case and what it was about. Um, this case was different in several ways from the other cases we've seen. We've had the Wells and Abbott cases, but they were in federal court and they were more Indigenous law cases. But the Benoit case, this case, was heard in the provincial Supreme Court, and the legal issue was this law of oppression, as it's called, oppression, which is usually involved in business cases where uh, very often minority shareholders feel they've been wronged by uh, their company and uh, and they sue under this law of oppression. Uh, but of course, in the Benoit case, the plaintiffs were members of the Federation of Newfoundland Indians, FNI, which was the forerunner of Halibu and composed of eight community bands in Western and Central Newfoundland. And um, as we will recall back uh, however many years ago, uh, uh, 12 or 14 years ago, all FNI members had a chance to vote on the agreement in principle that led to the formation of Halibu. This was the the vote that led to the formation of Halibu in 2011. But of course, as we know all too well, 
Um, when it came to the supplemental agreement, it was a different story. The uh, ratification process was not the same in uh, in the supplemental agreement. And uh, as we see in this uh, in this decision, the FNI's lawyer Steve May was giving advice to FNI on what to do now that Halibu was being formed. And he gave them various options, and they decided that they would make FNI a skeletal organization only. It would be there only in name to deal with uh, ongoing issues about uh, enrollment as they finished off enrollment. But the, all the assets, the all the the powers uh, essentially would go to the new Halibu band. But here's where the problem arose: in order to change the FNI, they had to change the bylaws. There was a special resolution to replace the bylaws. But guess what? They didn't give FNI members advance notice of this uh, of this special re resolution. Um, so they went to uh, uh, a meeting of FNI and tried to patch it up with some second resolution, which was voted down. So the the uh, the brief uh, story is that the resolution uh, in which FNI members lost their membership rights, which were transferred to Halibu, was improperly done. The resolution was illegal. There was no notice. And um, the court um, uh, deals with this, uh, Justice uh, Marshall, and I just want to, uh, for listeners, refer to some uh, paragraphs in her in her case. And uh, by the way, her her uh, decision is available online on the Can Lee website. That's C A N L I I, and click on um, Newfoundland Labrador. You'll find the Supreme Court, and you'll see the Benoit case. And uh, some of it is, you know, legally is not that interesting, but. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, very interesting background uh, here, history, a history of our uh, community, Mi'kmaq community in uh, Newfoundland. But Greg, just let me very briefly refer, refer to these paragraphs. At um, paragraph 180, uh, Justice Marshall says, the special resolution that uh, required notice that was not given purported to affect a mass termination of the membership of the majority of the members of the FNI. It was a fundamental change to the membership of the FNI. Compliance with the bylaw requirements was of the utmost importance, she said. And um, then at, at paragraph 186, the FNI characterized its failure to give notice as a mere tactical misstep. I do not accept the characterization of what transpired as a mere technical misstep. Uh, I don't know if you found this as shocking as I did just seeing it in print there. I mean, you've been chief of a First Nation, uh, the Burgio First Nation, and, uh, you know, many people run organizations, they have bylaws. Here was F&I operating with their uh, legal counsel, Steve May, and they didn't... <laughs> give members a notice of this very important special resolution. I mean, you know, it's, it's shocking how this could happen. Absolutely. Uh, Glenn, that because we have bylaws to govern our organizations for a reason. And when you step outside of those bylaws, um, it, it makes it no longer a, um, a good thing. 
But um, we know now that um, it's been rumored for years and years that the FNI has broke their own bylaws. And uh, now we have it in fact, we have it in writing. We have uh, uh, Judge Marshall's ruling on it. It is fact that the FNI did oppress its members uh, when it broke its own bylaws. You know, being a chief of, of a former band, and uh, we have certain standards that we have to meet, um, you know, as a nonprofit organization. If we don't meet those standards, uh, we lose faith in the people. Yes. Now, um, there's also... Uh a lot of very interesting information in here about the supplemental agreement and the discussions um, among FNI slash Halibut. The judgment states that the people who signed the supplemental agreement knew full well that many members of FNI who had got their status in Halibut were at risk. So we've heard some, uh, you know, uh, rewritten history that we were surprised, um, you know, we were shocked that this happened. But at paragraph 94 of her decision, uh, Justice Marshall says uh, that uh, based on uh, she heard from Annie Randall, the band manager at the time, and Justice Marshall says, um, uh, she says this at paragraph 94, in my view, based on the evidence, it is reasonable to infer that the board of the FNI knew that the reassessment process undertaken pursuant to the supplemental agreement would potentially result in the loss of status for several thousand applicants. So it should have come as no surprise what the end result of this supplemental agreement uh, would um, would mean. And uh, I think, Greg, uh, we have um, uh, people on the current Halibut Council who are present for the signing of the supplemental agreement so they can dispute what Justice Marshall says. So the current chief, um, uh, Brendan Mitchell, uh, Frank Skeard, who is a counselor and perhaps candidate for chief, uh, were part of these discussions. So uh, it would be interesting to uh, get their take on um, on uh, on what uh, Justice Marshall has to say. Um, but we also see in her award that they were under pressure from Canada to get into this supplemental agreement. She says at paragraph 231, I considered uh, Ms. Randall's suggestion that the FNI, like Canada, had concerns with the validity of the applications and the assessment process of the enrollment committee. Um, and that was the justification that Canada had for, uh, for wanting to uh, get into this uh, supplemental agreement. But here's what Justice Marshall says. I reject these concerns as providing any basis for justifying reassessment. Rather, I accept and prefer Mr. Rideout's credible evidence, and that was uh, George Rideout, who was leading the Enrollment Committee. Mr. Rideout's credible evidence that the Enrollment Committee conducted its assessments in a competent manner and in accordance with its obligations under the settlement agreement. I accept as evidence that from time to time adjustments in the assessment process were required 
and that the Enrollment Committee acted accordingly. As he stated, Canada had rights of appeal and did so appeal in many cases. So, Greg, Canada Canada's issue was not with the with the way the enrollment process was working, but they were getting too many Indians. Um, yeah, that's right. They were shocked of uh, many people were, were uh, you know, in the lineup type thing. And uh, and Mr. Rideout's um, testimony was that he felt pressured. Uh, he felt Canada was bearing down on him to, um, you know, to uh, stop the floodgate here. So Canada was looking at its... Uh, and its financial uh, numbers there. So in order to save money, they wrongly denied people status in Alibu First Nation, even though under the agreement they signed initially, they were accepted under the Enrollment Committee, which Justice Marshall says operated just fine and according to the agreement, but Canada didn't like the result. So they twisted. They twisted the agreement to deny these uh, the plaintiffs and more than ten thousand other people. I mean, it really is uh, kind of shocking when you look at it and and what it amounts to in Justice Marshall's decision. Absolutely, I find this very shocking that uh, Canada has pretty much gotten off with uh, scot free here. Um, you know, knowing that uh, Canada was the initial oppressor or whatever on this. So it, uh, they had to stop the bleeding somehow. And uh, by denying people membership is how they did it. Now, Greg, let's uh, talk about what this decision means. That's the question that, um, that people are, are asking. We have, um, we have five plaintiffs, Sean Benoit and four others, and they were asking for four things. One was the cancellation of the supplemental agreement. And they did not get that. That was, I think, the biggest ask. And there was no um, no bite from Justice Marshall on that. She says, essentially, it's too late for that. The supplemental agreement has been implemented. It's the, there's been performance, as she says, of the, of the agreement. And, uh, and that's that. And, um, and that, will be, that will be hard to swallow for people who lost their status as a result of the uh, of the sub- supplemental agreement It'd be very hard to take i think yeah um people are asking what i'm picking up on social media right now is uh, uh everyone's asking what does this mean um people have been messaging me and that and says does this mean i'm getting my status back um i'm calmly saying that the uh friends of halibu here has gained a lot of ground here uh, but it was certainly not the uh, touchdown that uh, we're looking for. Uh, and, and Judge Marshall says that two to five planets, uh, only the five, um, that the FNI may uh, or needs to find, find their way back into the FNI, not Halibut. So yes, yes another- let's, let's look at that. She, uh, regarding the five, she says that, um, she recognizes the loss they have suffered. And she says that um, the plaintiffs have suffered immense loss as a result of their loss of, uh, of Indian status to have their status granted and then revoked has hurt the plaintiffs. The loss of status represents loss of their identity, their heritage and their ancestry. And she says, about that is a, it is appropriate to require the FNI to take all steps in its power to seek to obtain Canada's consent 
to reconsider and reassess the plaintiff's eligibility for founding member status with a view to attaining reinstatement of the plaintiff's um, uh, Section 6-1 status. So, in other words, uh, what um, Justice Marshall says is that these five should have their F&I status restored, but of course that's different from status in Halibu. And what she's uh, saying is that F&I take all steps in its power to uh, seek to obtain Canada's consent to reconsider their eligibility for status in Halibu. So we're talking about two different things there. Uh, if FNI gives them back their membership in FNI, that does not count for very much uh, tangibly. Uh, but of course, we know that FNI does not have the power to give them Indian status. That's for the feds. So it could be that, as we saw earlier in uh, a different uh, part of this case, FNI writes a strongly worded letter to Canada, and that's all that's required by uh, by this case. It it, it would seem. Uh, yeah, that's right. Now, that would only require the FNI to uh, seem to do something, but um, uh, there's no, there's nothing in this ruling that says you do this or else. Um, you know um, that will will you know at the end of the day come looking for you type thing. And but uh, you know it leaves a lot of open end questions. Um, you know, people ask. Uh, you know, for the five planets and everything, uh, that's great. But what does it mean for the 10,500 status on the family members list and law status? What does that mean for them? And we're looking for those answers right now. Yes. And we and we uh, point to uh, paragraph uh, 144 in Justice Marshall's decision. And as she says quite clearly, the plaintiffs had standing to pursue only private claims and remedies. And she says the in paragraph 145, the plaintiffs lack the authority to advance a claim on behalf of the Mi'kmaq group of Indians of Newfoundland. I agree that the plaintiffs do not have standing to advance collective rights. So regardless of what comes out of this, this decision, ultimately, it will apply only to the five people named. So I guess if people want the same thing, they'll have to bring their own case to court because uh, clearly um, this applies to the five plaintiffs only. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been hearing a lot of uh, kickback about that. Uh, people asking that why only five I contributed to the court case, uh, you know, why am I not included type thing that, um, you know, this is about every, everyone. Uh, that's not about five people now. There's a lot of good evidence in this case now. And people ask me, you know, Greg, did I waste my money on, on this court case? Absolutely not. Every dime was well spent. We gained a lot of ground here. I don't want people to get down on themselves now, thinking that it was a waste. Uh, this is not uh, the the three people that led this court case from the Friends of Halibut done an excellent job getting us here uh we do have some deciphering to do out of this but uh at the end of the, this is a victory for for the friends of halibu and 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 the 10,500 who have lost status yeah we don't want to minimize the importance of a, a you know we might say it's a moral victory but um right. uh, and, and you know there's something 
important about that also because it's such an important part of our Mi'kmaq history in uh, in Newfoundland. What happened there? Does I have so to have this recorded in a court case like this is um, it's important that we know it, if nothing else. To know it is to be able to deal with it. So I think whatever comes, it's a very necessary uh, first step, and uh, and we should pay. Uh, uh, thanks to uh, Helen Darrigan, uh, who is the, um, you know, the the the, the uh, main force behind uh, Friends of Halibut, who did the the fundraising, sent the emails, did the bookkeeping, and uh, a lot of personal sacrifice uh, from Helen in this uh, case. Uh, without her, yeah. it would not have taken place. Yeah, absolutely, Nat. But it was a team effort here, Nat, Helen and Pauline and and John who have, uh, you know, seen the injustice in this and followed it through. Uh, but uh, they are our leaders. And at the end of the day, this will go down in the history books. When when people sit down to write Mi'kmaq history about Newfoundland, this will be part of it. Mm. Absolutely. I guess one remaining issue for uh, for FNI is, um, is how to pay the costs because, um, Judge uh, Judge Marshall has said uh, costs uh, from uh, for F and I uh, must be paid to uh, to friends of Halibut. But we know that F and I has no money. They're just uh, basically a bank account for the feds to send legal uh, money to uh, to Halibut funneled through F and I. So they have no they have nothing in the bank otherwise. So does that mean that we that uh, the plaintiffs have to go after Halibut? Halibut has money, so that's. Uh, to be decided, we'll we'll see what happens about that. And I guess the other thing, Greg, is appeal. Uh, mm-hmm. There's the uh, F and I and Canada are still and and uh, friends of Halibut uh, too uh, would be within their appeal period. So we we'll be watching to see if any appeal is filed by the deadline. Right. We have heard from friends of Halibut's lawyer Keith Morgan, and um, you know. They have spoken. We have heard nothing from Canada. I don't expect them to appeal. I think they were probably satisfied in, in this decision. Uh, but we haven't heard from the FNI itself, uh, whether they will appeal or whether they acknowledge. Now, I have asked uh, several board members that sit on the FNI about this and that they don't even acknowledge that they even read the decision. Mm. So uh, there has nothing been said to this. And, that. and you're, you're right. FNI is just an entity. Um, they have no uh, assets because it was signed over to Halibut illegally. And that's it for the program. Look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and introducing our new website, Mi'kmaqManners.com. Mi'kmaq Matters is brought to you with listener support. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Matters. The Mi'kmaq Matters team is producer Allison Baker, correspondent Greg Jaynes, and researcher Hilary McGinnis. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Amsonokama. Mi'kmaq Matters.